I remember it like it was yesterday. 1987, late August, finally out of my parents' home, 18 years old, all by myself, sort of. A lot of my friends were with me that day. What do you do when you're waiting for almost a decade to get to the land of Israel to finally study by yourself in Jerusalem, the holiest city in our tradition? What could you possibly do to honor that first weekend when you were there, to lift yourself up, to elevate the sense of belonging, the sense of arrival? What could a group of 10 to 15 young men possibly do that would sanctify the beauty of that weekend but to get on a bus and go to sleep on a beach in Tel Aviv. Almost like it was our last chance before Jerusalem was going to swallow us up. We better get out fast. And so my brother and I and a group of friends from New York, we all got on a bus headed to Tel Aviv. And back in the day, the Tel Aviv Central bus station was nothing like the Central bus station in Tel Aviv now. It was nothing central about it. It was bedlam, mayhem. And I remember that last moment where I saw my friends. before they were swallowed up by a sea of humanity. And as I called out to them and they receded, I found myself alone in Tahana Merkazita Yishana in the old central, not central, bus station of Tel Aviv. This was before cell phones. My brother was holding our money. I knew no one. Could have been a lot worse. Right? Could have been in a country which doesn't treat every guest as if they're part of your family for good and for sometimes not so good. But one of the most amazing things about it was that in the beginning, as I found my bearings, I realized that I was happy that I had lost them. The strangeness of it, the sense of, wow, this is an adventure. This could go anywhere. A relief, a sense of freedom, a sense of who knows. And very quickly, as my options ran out over the next four and a half hours, I began to feel the panic of being lost in a place that I should know very well. A stranger in a strange land, some of the Hebrew, some of all of it, making its way. And one of the most remarkable things that I realized was that when you're lost, the most important thing is to realize you're lost and to want to be found. 
to realize that you're lost and want to be found. It's not a simple thing because sometimes we don't even realize we're lost. That's the first moment. And then when we do, maybe some of us like being lost for a little while. Maybe some of us enjoy the freedom or the sense of, do I really have to come back now? Feels good, sort of. Maybe not. Or even so, we just think that it's going to be too hard to find them or that it's going to be too hard for them to find us. We don't even know where to look. It's a pretty big city. And God called out, right? Where are you? The great Rebbe of Lubavitch, the first Rebbe of Lubavitch, known as the Balatanya, the master of the work that he was named thereafter for, the Tanya, the magnum opus, also of all Hasidic literature, the master of this book called Tanya, the author of it, known as Shnur Zalman of Li'adi, Shnur Zalman, the Alta Rebbe, the first Rebbe, a Rebbe in White Russia who died around 1813 and was want to be imprisoned by the Russian authorities on, very, on many occasions. Not because he did anything wrong, but because the opponents of the Hasidic movement, the opponents of the movement that he, had, of, he was a student of and that he was a leader in, they would tell on the authorities and they would imprison the Balatanya. Can you imagine Jew against Jew? Anybody ever, has that ever happened here? Never. Imagine that. And so he was imprisoned once. And as he was in prison, the, the head of the prison was a man who liked to taunt the Balatanya now and then. He also was a student of the Bible, and so he thought that he would come in and taunt the Rebbe by asking him what's known as a klutz kashi. He was going to ask him a difficulty, and if the Rebbe was going to answer it, he was going to then, he would win. And so something crazy. So he came to the Rebbe, and he was, saw him in, in the cell, and he came in, he thought, I'm going to ask him about this moment, Ayeka. Ayeka. When God says, where are you? So he came into the Rebbe, he said, Rebbe, do you believe that everything in the scripture is from God? And the Rebbe said, yeah, of course. He said, if you believe that, then tell me the meaning of this. Tell me the meaning of the God who knows everything asking the first human where he was. The Rebbe thought about it. And he said to him this. He said, well then, in every era, God calls out to every human. Where are you in your world? So many years and days have passed, and how far have you gotten in the world? God says something like this. Hey, you, turning to the guard, You've lived 46 years. How far along are you? Ayeka. When the guard heard this and heard the Rebbe quote him his age, he pulled himself together. He laid a hand on the Rebbe's shoulder and he cried, Bravo. Well done. Ayeka, where are you? Not who are you? Not are you. 
Where are you in relation? Where are you? Do you have your own GPS? Where's, are you lost? What is the relationship between your inside, your outside, between your priorities? Where are you in your relationship with the world, with yourself? And what's remarkable, of course, in the story that we've just sung so beautifully with Ariel, God calls out and Adam answers. Et kolcha shamati bagan. Now everybody here knows, I think at this point, that our theme this year is awakened voice. And if you look up in your concordance, if you look in any part of the, any part of uh, any tool that tells you about the Torah, about the Bible, you'll find out that the word voice, kol, K-O-L, appears no fewer than 1,300 times in some form or another in the Bible. But its first time, its first utterance, the first moment where voice appears as a word, as an idea, as an utterance, is right here. God's voice echoing in the garden. And that first human being says, I heard it. Et kolcha shamati bagan. I heard your voice. And then... Adam does something remarkable. He gives us a detailed confession of what it is to hide. I heard your voice. I got scared. I realized I was naked. I was vulnerable. I was exposed. And then this word that we repeated over and over again, can you all say that? I hid. Wow. So clear. I heard your voice. That's already a big deal. To hear the voice already is a big deal. Wow, I heard your voice. Great. Thanks for telling me. I got scared. I realized I was exposed. I was vulnerable. And so I hid. What a moment. I hid. What a remarkable opportunity for someone to say, you know what, I'm hiding. The moment we say that we're hiding, the moment we answer the call for someone who is looking for us, we are acknowledging that not only are we lost, but we deeply, deeply want to be found. Why did Adam answer God? He could have gone on hiding. They could have played a game. God would say, where are you? And no one would answer. Has that ever happened to anybody? The saddest game in the world is when people play hide-and-seek. People go to hide and everybody gives up and goes away. And God says, okay, where are you? Come out, come out wherever you are. And Adam's like, mm, shh, don't say a word. You won't find us. I was hiding over here. The first moment of responding, of tshuva, of answering the call is acknowledging that we want to be found. Even before we hear the voice, I want to hear the voice. I want you to know where I am. I wish you would come looking for me. 
I was afraid I hid the first moment of healing begins when we come out of hiding and we say here I am I was hiding as Rabbi Diane said so beautifully on Friday night it was me I was the one I was over here cowering but then I said I really want them to find out I really want you to discover my secret I really wish that I could feel safe enough to say it was me here I am healing begins with Hineni healing begins with here I am I was hiding I don't know about you, but there are no shortage of ways to hide. I know that when I was growing up, we always knew exactly the places where everybody was hiding. There was no secret. Always looked in the broom closet, behind the couch. I bet if you made a list tonight of all the places you hide, they'd be the same list. I sometimes hide behind work. I sometimes hide behind my need for attention. I sometimes hide behind my role. I sometimes hide in my anger. I sometimes hide in my political preferences. I sometimes hide in my silence. I sometimes hide how deeply I want connection and touch. Where do you hide? Before we jump to the environment, we'll get there. Before we jump to the political mess, before we turn our attention to the places where others hide, we begin here with a Russian guard in a prison cell with a tzaddik, with a righteous human. It's Romamu, everybody. We have to start here. This is the work. Because this is what we take into the world. This is what we live with. This is what our partners live with. This is what our children, our parents, our co-workers, our boss, our friends. This is what they see. We walk in the world and we imagine that we're hiding and everybody can see our places oh you hide there? me too it's like we, we kind of get together in the little places we hide and be like oh David you're in there too? yeah me too, wow I thought I could hide back here well okay great, there's enough room for all of us apparently we begin our journey together for the next 10 days with a voice that calls out and says, Ayeka, where are you? And if we're honest, we might be able tonight and tomorrow and the days after to say, I'm hiding. Do you mind looking a little bit harder for me? I'm hiding. So what happened there in Tel Aviv, 1987? I, uh, four and a half hours in, I'd already uh, 
schnored. I don't know what's the right way to say schnored. I'd already asked people for, I'd already eaten lunch with somebody, he'd given me lunch. I'd already had uh, maybe half a dozen Cokes. I don't know where I was. I made a couple of friends. And then I said, it began to dawn on me that I really wanted to find my friends again. I really wished that they would come looking for me, but they didn't. So I decided to ask for help. I flagged down a cab driver, and in kind of half-broken Hebrew, my high school Hebrew, I said something about my friends lost help. And so we started driving around together. We drove for like an hour. And there we were on the Yarkon, and I was driving down the Yarkon, which is the road right next to the water in Tel Aviv. And there was my friend, Joey Hellerstein, sitting in a cafe. <laughs> I pulled the car over. I got out, and, uh, you know, the guy didn't make me pay for anything. It was amazing. And I said, they said, where were you? I said, where was I? Where were you? I was so happy to find them again. It was a relief. If you're ready to hail a cab, you've come to the best resource we have in this tradition. It's not guaranteed that over the next 10 days, as we journey together through the ins and outs of the different liturgy that some of you might be absolutely familiar with, that some of you might say like, wow, I've never seen that street before. But if you stay long enough, you're going to find something. If you want to be found. Where are you? I'm holding that work in my heart with you and hoping that together we might find our way. So you know what? I don't think we should do called Mamadaka. I think we need to hear your song again. Because it's such a beautiful call to all of us. Isn't that amazing? I wrote this for Romans community, for Awakened Voice.